Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Just, just waiting for my wife to <laughs> called out. All right. <clears throat> Why don't we all stand together as we worship the Lord this morning? Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And 
I think there's a lot of songs that we hear and sing and stuff like that. And they're like this, where we say, yeah, 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 yeah. And we sing things like that, or we sing, la, 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 and you know, those types of songs. And, you know, it's about our heart. And if we're singing, making a joyful noise unto the Lord, and he knows our heart, we sing these songs like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So make a joyful noise unto the Lord this morning as we sing. opportunity to once again come into your house. Lord, it is such a privilege to be able to worship together as a congregation, God. What you do in our hearts as we gather together and lift our voices and praise you is miraculous, and we don't always understand what's going on, but God, we thank you that you've given us voices to praise you and to worship you, and I pray that you will help us this morning to exalt you on high as we sing and as we play, and God, as we lift you on high, I pray that you get all the glory for this morning, for you are worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated as we continue. <clears throat> Strength will rise as we
Aren't you glad to be here and worship the Lord this morning? Let's give our God a hand. Amen. What a great God we serve. That song you just sang was coming right out of the book of Isaiah, and we're, we're thrilled to worship that God. I'm glad that you're here to worship Him with us. Uh, just a few announcements. Uh, first of all, at the end of the service, you'll hear more about the picnic from Brandon as, as he's been keeping us updated, but uh, we have a lot going on. Uh, the picnic's still on, rain or shine, because there's a pavilion. We can always eat under it, right? And uh, so we want to encourage you to be there at the picnic t- this afternoon. Also, we have the men's retreat coming up just around the corner. That's just about three weeks away. We want to make sure that all of our men have the opportunity to go. Um, please sign up. You'll see uh, some information in the foyer. We want to get sign-ups moving as quickly as we can. And, uh, men, I'd like to really encourage you. Let's just uh, see our men get away and get along with God. I think it would be exciting to see a bunch of men gather and meet with God, enjoy some fellowship, and a few sandwiches while we're down there, and, uh, and just, just have a time where we're hanging out and meeting with God. So... I want to encourage you to, to sign up for that. Also, the Women of Faith is coming up in October. And uh, I'm sorry, yeah, October, the first weekend of October. You'll see that information. And uh, we want to encourage you to, to take part of these things uh, that will help you in your spiritual walk. Uh, keep Pastor Arnold in prayer. He's away in Hilton Head, if you can believe that, right? Some people have it rough, you know, Hilton Head. I heard it rained a lot. And I, uh, yeah, I hope the rain cleared out for him. But, uh, there's a lot of rain in the south, and, but he's in Hilton Head. His whole family, Johnny and everybody, gathered together. and So uh, we, we, we screwed up our date by having the picnic of, while he was there, but we, we got this publicized first, and we were rolling. So sorry about that, but we, we know he's, he's going to be in good hands on the beach while we're in the rain at Peterswood Park, right? So uh, we, we're thankful. Pray that he'll have a good rest while he's away and come back refreshed. But uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Glad that you've come to worship our great God. We think of how good our God is. It's so easy to give to Him. And I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this time. Let's all stand as we receive our morning offering. As we give, I want to remind you that everything that you have comes from the Lord. God's provided 100% of what you have. And as we give back to Him, whether you give in the plate, you give online, you give through the mail, however you give, we give it to the Lord. And it's, uh, it's our way. We're saying, God, you've provided, you've died on the cross for me. What more can I ask for? Amen? You've given me my family. You've given me everything that I have. You gave me shelter. Lord, I'm giving back to you because I believe in who you are. So let's just bow in prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just pause for a moment and just worship him? Say, God, I thank you for who you are. And Lord, let me worship you as we give. Thank him for the cross. Thank him that he is all that you need. Thank Him for the joy and the privilege it is to give unto this blessed King of Kings. Lord, I come before you and I thank you. It's a great privilege to stand before you, Lord, to give unto your wonderful name. You've provided so much for us. And God, as we pause now and we we focus on giving to you, Lord, we first of all give our hearts to you. We know that's your greatest desire is our heart. Lord, as we give this offering to you, we ask you to bless it, that you'll use it to touch people's lives, change, help us turn this town upside down for Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us in the mission field as we support our missionaries. Help us to do your work, Lord. Pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You would also pass the friendship folders as the offerings come in your way.
stand with us this is a this is a new song but if you've been listening to K-Love you've probably heard it and so we thought we'd sing it this morning it's it's an old hymn and um, you know the last song talked about how God is more than enough for us and this song is just a cry out that Lord we need we need you every day and so this is Lord I need you so we'll just play through this and sing and worship God through it I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, I fall apart, you're the
this morning. What a joy it is to be able to sing praises to your name. God, that is the cry of our heart. We are nothing without you, God. We need you immensely in our lives, God. Father, we just ask that you pour out your spirit upon Ken as he speaks this morning, God. May, may our hearts be stirred to walk in obedience to you and to glorify you with our lives, God, to be Christ-like in our actions, Father, because we need you, God. We cannot do this without you, and we praise your holy name this morning, God. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Let's thank our guys, man. We appreciate these men. What a great song. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. I think that we could keep that as our forefront prayer. I think would be all right, wouldn't we? Lord, I need you. This morning, we'd like to talk about the mighty hand of God. Now, I think about this. I, we come to church week in and week out, week in and week out, and we all say that we believe that our God is great. We talk about how wonderful He is, and we, we say how much we trust in Him, and then we leave here, and we have to go to work on Monday morning. And Monday morning, we have to deal with real-life issues, don't we? We have to deal with other people that aren't so great. We have to deal with life around us. We have to deal with things that, that trouble us. And God has given us this great God. I mean, here he is. This is the God of the universe, and we're able to worship him. And so this morning, if you would take your Bible and turn over to 2 Kings chapter 18, I'd like to look at the life of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. 2 Kings chapter 18. Hezekiah is recorded here in 2 Kings 18 through 20. He's also recorded in 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. 
And he's also recorded over in Isaiah 36 through 39. And sometimes the scripture will take, take a particular event and give us several different looks from sef- several different books. And so here we are going to take one look this morning from the book of Kings. But we see that his, uh, his life has been recorded uh, for us in three different spots in the scripture. But uh, the first, first we'd like to look at this morning, first point I'd like to draw to your attention is King Hezekiah's testimony. Um, and we'll begin reading in 2 Kings 18.1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and, and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted, the, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. This morning, I'd like to look at the testimony of King Hezekiah. He steps into power during a a rough time for the nation of Israel. First of all, if you look in verse 1, it says, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel. And then he talks about Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah. What is happening is that the nation of Israel is going through a little bit, kind of like a civil war. You have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so king of Judah was the southern kingdom. And this is where Hezekiah is stepping in. He's stepping in to the southern kingdom. And if you'll you'll notice there, it says that he was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. And it gives us a little bit bit of his heritage uh, there. But the the verse that stands out and jumps out to me this morning is verse 3. 18 verse 3. And let's just read that together from the screen. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Now this is quite a testimony for King Hezekiah. Quite a statement for, uh, for, for the author to give us that this is what this guy summed up his life. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to what that King David, his father, and David wasn't really his father, it's talking about the king, everybody revered King David. So he was back before the kingdom had been divided, King David. So he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like King David did. Now, there are others in the scriptures who, who get that term that he did what was right, but not, none, other, none of the other kings have this term just like David did. He had a heart like David. He was seeking after God. Didn't mean he was a perfect king. He had his problems. He had his trials. But he was seeking the Lord. Israel's divided into two kingdoms, and here's the north and the south. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. He has the southern kingdom. The statement did not include, when it says here, if you go into verses 5 and 6 there, it says that there was none like him. Uh, It says, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. So this isn't referring to King David in that list. He's saying that, listen, of the southern kings, there was no other king like Hezekiah. None before him and none after him. He was one of the greatest kings that they had. So this statement did not include King David because he was before the division, but he had the heart of David. His reign and life were a dramatic contrast to his father, Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz was his father and preceded him, obviously, as, as king. And Hezekiah's father was among the disobedient kings. Look at what 2 Kings 16 says about King King Ahaz. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of his God, of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. He did not do right like David did. So here comes Hezekiah. He's coming on the scene. His father was a pretty corrupt guy. And if we, uh, we look further there, it says, not only did he not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, verse 3 says, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. 
He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Hezekiah steps onto the scene following this evil, wicked father of his that went through. And uh, over in first, Second Chronicles chapter 28, Second Chronicles chapter 28 tells us how the king Ahaz had stripped the temple of its furnishings and closed it down. And he, went, he then went around and he had little altars built on every street corner, it says, in Jerusalem and all, all the high places in the country. And over in that chapter, it also tells us that he even sacrificed his son to the pagan gods. Ahaz gave his sons a bad education. It's amazing that Hezekiah even survived. I mean, if he's sacrificing sons to, to pagan gods, it's amazing that that this guy was able to survive. How did Hezekiah even survive? And at best, Hezekiah arrives on the scene as a 25-year-old king with no nothing. He has no godly influence. The, uh, the temple had been shut down. The despicable practices of the pagans were there. Sin was abounding. There was nothing good that was happening in his land. And Hezekiah steps up to the plate, and he says, at 25 years old, I'm going to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord. Some of you say, wow, I wish I would have had a better heritage coming to this point. I know in my life there have been different times I look back and say, wow, I wish I would have had a different upbringing. I wish I would have had a different godly influence in my life. Uh, maybe, maybe your dad didn't give you the best godly influence. Hezekiah didn't have any godly influence. And he steps up to the plate. And the question I throw out to you this morning is that when God's grace will work, what can hinder it? When God's grace is working, what can hinder it? So here's the power of God. The power of God looks down and says, here's, here's Judah. Here, here, here's my king, Hezekiah, and I want to do a work in his life, and he's breathing his grace upon Hezekiah, and nothing is going to stop the work of God. And I want you to be encouraged because sometimes we get out there and we're, you're working hard, and, and, and you look and you say, man, I have all this thing on my shoulder, but guess what? God is still at work. And as despicable as the situation was for Hezekiah to step up, Hezekiah stepped up and he got up to plate and he, he wasn't, he wasn't going to strike out. He was ready to hit the ball. He got up and he said, I'm going to go to work for God. And the first 16 days, first 16 days under his directive, the temple was cleansed and refurbished. The pagan altars and pillars were torn down. Uh, the relics of Israel's past were demolished. The snake on the pole that Moses had been ordered to build, and we see that in our first, first several verses there of Second uh, Kings 18, says that he had taken that snake, the bronze snake on, on, the, on the pole. I believe it was about 800 years that they had worshipped that snake. They worshipped that snake on the, on the pole that Moses had been ordered. And you know what? He had to crush it. Why did he have to crush it? Because they worshipped that pole. They worshipped that snake. It was an, an idol. And instead of worshiping the true and living God, they're worshiping this idol. So idolatry had crept in. And so this morning, I want you to think about the idols that creep into our life. There are all kinds of idols. We can worship our job. We can worship our family. We can worship anything. We can worship a particular worship style. We can worship how we feel. There's so many things that we can take that we worship instead of worshiping God. And God's called us to come in and look unto Him, to strip away, to peel back the things of this world, and to look at God. So there are things in my life and in your life that we have to come, we have to say, what idols are they that we've got to demolish? Maybe it's just too much TV time. Some of you, some of you really enjoy your TV time. You say, man, t TV's not wrong. It's just putting it before God. You know? How about toys? I don't know. if Anybody, anybody have toys, you know? I guess as you get older, your toys just get bigger, right? You know, uh, you know, is it wrong to have toys? No, toys aren't wrong. But if that toy takes the place of God, and you're putting your affections and all you're thinking about is this toy and, and this excitement that I'm going to get when I'm doing this particular toy or hobby or whatever, and I've replaced that which belongs to God, then it's become an idol. So God says he has to, we have to take these idols and we have to get rid of them. That's what Hezekiah did. He was following back. He went back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he implemented it. He said, we are coming back to the things that are right. So for the first 16 days, he got right to work. Think about, uh, 
about their situation. Their situation was not a good situation. The king of Assyria is putting pressure. As a matter of fact, the Assyrians, they had invaded the Middle East multiple times. Eventually, to the point of 722, they wipe out Israel. 722 B.C., Israel is wiped out, buddy. And they take, I mean, this is, this is quite a big power. The, the pressure is insurmountable. And here's Hezekiah. What does he do the first thing? He doesn't go and build up his army. He doesn't go and build up his chariots. He restores worship. He comes back and says, I'm going to restore the people to God. He didn't have the greatest heritage. He didn't have all these things going in his favor. He said, to this day, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I want to encourage you to stand up and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you to cleanse your temple. To go in. You know, the, Hezekiah, he fixed the, the, the doors on the temple. It says that he fixed the doors and he took down all the, all the pagan idol, idolatry. He closed up all the other little things that his dad had made. And he stood up for God and he followed according to the commands of God. And in our lives, we have to do this too. We have to come in and we have to say, what is it that is keeping me from God? And I have to, I have to crush it. 1 John 1.9, I'm thankful for God's cleansing power in our life. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, if I come before God and I say the same thing that God says about my sin, yes, God, I was self-reliant. God, I was prideful. God, I stepped out of, your, out of what you want. I acted in my flesh. You know what God does? The Bible says God looks upon that humble heart and he says he cleanses it. When Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all forever. He paid for your sin. But there's a daily cleansing that we must go through. A daily cleansing because there's a relationship that I have with God. And, and it's like any other relationship. If something comes in the way in our relationship... We have to deal with this stuff. So my daily walk with God, God says, you've got to deal with this. And we come before him, and aren't you thankful for that? Because when God forgives, it's over. He cleanses us. There's nothing better than, than the feeling of clean. You know, I go out and cut the grass. I came in Friday, you know, Friday night, I'm out there cutting the grass. You just come in, you're just, you are just covered. You know, I've got grass all over me. It's not a pretty sight because... We don't cut our grass till it needs cut, you know. Some of you cut your grass on time. We cut it when it's overdue, you know. And there's grass flying all over the place, you know. And we come in, we're pretty, pretty covered, pretty dirty. And I jump in, you get that, you just cleanse. There's nothing better than feeling cleansed. And that's what God does for your soul every day. When you come before him, he's asked you to come before him and say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you to cleanse me. See what I'm doing? I'm relying on him. I'm coming to him. I'm being dependent. God, you are right. I have stepped off of your, what you wanted for me here. God wants us to cleanse. Hezekiah made a commitment to actively cleanse. We should also make that commitment to actively cleanse our life. Over in Second Chronicles, we find that his father Ahaz had turned away from God in his troubled times. What a contrast from the father to the son. Here we see that Hezekiah, in troubled times, turns back to God. He takes actions and does things for God when it wasn't very popular at all. The kingdom was divided. The pressure was on. Hezekiah is now king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and he reigns during the critical years when the, Assyrian was, the Assyrians were dominating the world power. Judah, too, was threatened. But from the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign, in the first month of the first year, the king had shown great zeal for the Lord. He stepped up to the plate. He restored the Passover. He restored the festivals. He restored all the acts of worship. He got the people back to following God. Hezekiah's general character was godly. He did that which was right like David. Several of his predecessors were known to be doing that which was right, but none were like like Hezekiah, where he did that which was right, like David. First Chronicles, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles 29, 6 says, For our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. And now here is Hezekiah's testimony. Let's put it up there again, Cindy. 
Second uh, Kings eighteen three, and he let's read this. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Wouldn't you like that to be on your tombstone? I hope when people come and they see my life at the end of my journey, and they they find my tombstone in a couple hundred years, and they say, "Who's this guy?" I don't want it to be known for you know. He was a great softball coach, because he wasn't. I don't want it to be known that he was this or that. I want it to be known that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Not what was right in the eyes of his friends. Not what was right in the eyes of the people that he liked. Not what was right in this, but what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that what God wants us all to do? He's called us to walk in that way of his righteousness I would love that to be said in my life. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Next, let's look at King's, the King Hezekiah's crisis. He had a crisis. And uh, you're always going to have crisis. We all have crisis in life. This, is, this, this was King Hezekiah's crisis. 2 Kings 18, verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of, uh, of Assyria came up and against all the fortified cities of Judah, attacked them, and took them. He captured them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. So here's Hezekiah's crisis. The crisis is that the king of Assyria is putting pressure on. He's come down. He's capturing his cities. And the pressure is on. So what does Hezekiah do? He comes and he he has a crisis. The crisis here is that he made a step on his own. He made a step of self-reliance. He stepped out of what God was kind of doing and stepping and trusting God, consulting God, and he made a quick reliance on himself. I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose, I will pay. This was a clear, however, it wasn't even understandable. It was a lack of faith on his part. It was a lack of faith for Hezekiah. He thought, if I just pay this guy... These guys will withdraw. And what he did was he went and he, he made this deal and the deal backfires. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. So what does Hezekiah, he hoped for this to happen and, uh, and it didn't happen. It didn't make a withdrawal. It made the, the enemy even stronger against him. So the enemy is coming up and he's stronger against him. He puts more pressure. How does the enemy respond? In 2 Kings 18, verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh, which is the field commander, with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, they came out to them, uh, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and the secretary, and Johah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, and the, rat, uh, the field commander said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? So he's challenging them. He says, What do you rest this trust of yours? Where do you think you're getting your power from? Where is this confidence that you have? And his confidence is being shaken. So the enemy is coming to him and, he, and he's, he's pounding at him. He's starting to come at him and he says, what, what are you talking about? It'd be okay if he would have been trusting on God, but it was a, a little bit of a self-reliant act here. 2 Kings 18 verse 19, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt. He Hezekiah had been trying to make an alliance with Egypt for his chariots for the, for the war against Assyria. That broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who will trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, 
Is it not he whose high place and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you are able, if you are even able to put your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots for horsemen? Moreover, it is without the Lord, uh, moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? Now look what the enemy says here to him. This gets me. He says, the Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, comes up to the king of Judah and says, God has told me what's going to happen. God has told me to attack you. And so now they are not just attacking with war, they're attacking his faith. And, and this, 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 as you read the scripture, it kind of goes on there. There's, just, there's so much there. But he, they came to the people and they said, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to tell you that your God's going to win the war. And he just, don't listen to him. You're going to be deceived. So Hezekiah has a response now. The king, the enemy had come and was attacking the faith of this man, their faith in the mighty hand of God. Let's look at, their, at the king's, King Hezekiah's response. Second Kings 19, 1 through 5. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went to the house of the Lord. This is the action that was taken. King Hezekiah's action taken. Point number three this morning. King Hezekiah's action taking. Verse 2. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, to the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God. And he will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. Hezekiah's response, the first thing he did was he went into sackcloth. It says that he he took sackcloth. He he covered himself. He tore his clothes. Sackcloth was kind of a a goat's hair bag for sacks. And uh, and a a black, black type of fur and they would just sit in this and it was a a time of distress it was a time of mourning and repentance it was also used but here he's he's in a time of mourning and possibly some repentance for the deal that he had tried to make with the enemy and he is now in this this time of sorrow and isn't that what happens to us whenever things come our way that we have to deal with the very first thing we do, and we are na- uh, na- this is natural, we're humans. We come and we go into sackcloth and ashes. We go into mourning. Oh, I can't make this. This is going to be so hard. This is so terrible. And there are so many unsurmountable things that we have to face in our life. And the first thing that we do when we come to those things that are bigger than we are, what happens? We go into this state of mourning. You may call it depression. You may call it whatever, but that's where we go. And it's like our sackcloth, the, our countenance is gone. And we are mourning because we have a hand, an issue at hand. So we deal with sackcloth. The second thing he did was he went to the temple. He didn't run away from worshiping God. That was the place that he stayed. He kept going to worship God. And then... He goes and he calls for prayer. He asks Isaiah and he calls for prayer. And those are the the fill in the blanks there. He went to sackcloth. He went to the temple. He calls for prayer. He asked Isaiah, hey, would you pray for the remnant that is left? And and after the the story continues on and it goes through where where all the hard talk back and forth and he hears another hard statement come back from, from Sennacherib. And then Hezekiah himself gets down to this place in 2 Kings 19 Verse 14. 2 Kings 19, 14. Hezekiah prays himself. 
He now gets to the point of prayer himself. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God alone. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, the, the, see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands and have cast their God into the fire. And they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you O Lord, our God alone. I love that right there. It says, And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. Isn't that what God's called us to do? We are to come, and we are to spread it out. He came, he said, Lord, here's the bad news. And he took the bad news. God, this is the bad news. And he spread it out, and he laid it out before the Lord. He said, God, I am afraid. I need you. You must work in my life. You must do your power. God, those, those, those Assyrians, how can they win? They, they, followed, they had false gods that we can melt down their gods. They don't even have gods. God, you alone are the one God. And he comes back and he finds strength in the almighty God of the universe. And this is where the mighty hand of God comes in. Because we're to go and we're to rely on that mighty hand of God. We're to come back before the Lord Look at this next verse, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. This is what God has called us to do. God, you know, sometimes you say, well, here's Hezekiah. He's praying when he's in trouble. And you ever hear somebody say, well, I don't like to pray only when I'm in trouble. Well, that's true. You shouldn't only pray when you're in trouble. But sometimes, do you realize that trouble comes into our life so that we'll pray? Sometimes those trouble things cause us to pray. And there are things that we have to deal with because this is the life. We live in a fallen world. And when we come up to these, to these things in our life, whether it's health crises, financial crises, all these things that we have to deal with, we are, we are now at a point where we have to come and we have to trust in the name of our Lord. And that's what God has called us to do. Hezekiah prays in a time of trouble. Um, he didn't lay it out before his friends. He didn't come out and lay it out. He laid it out before God. And he went with his soul, his heavy, heavy heart before the Almighty King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he gives us this verse in Hebrews. I love this verse from Hebrews. Let us therefore come boldly. It means you can come with confidence unto the throne of grace. Why? So that you may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in the time of what? Need. It's not wrong to pray when you're in trouble. It's actually a good thing. And all the troubles that I have to deal with in my life, I have to go before God and I have to spread it out. I have to lay it out before God. Why? Because He is the only answer. He's the only one that can solve the things that we have to deal with. I, uh, many times we're, we're like Hezekiah. We go to sackcloth, don't we? And that's the first thing that we do. And I have found that many times in my life, different times, I went to sackcloth and I just kind of stayed in the sackcloth. I never got to the point of praying over issues. I just kind of wallowed and wallowed and wallowed and eventually I moved out of that situation, whatever the issue was. I'll never forget when my father died, you know, going, talk about going into mourning. It was, it was like a week. I just, it was a blur. I, I, I remember not eating for a week. I mean, listen, for me not to eat for a week, that's, that's an interesting thing. Because it was like, wow. It was like, wow, we went a whole week. Why? Because I was consumed. I remember issues when I was in college. I, I just, uh, there was another time that I was consumed. And it's like, wow, th this thing is eating me alive and I had to get down to a point of prayer like Hezekiah did. So God's called us to, yes, the, the morning is natural. 
That's kind of natural when we're dealing with things. Some of you have dealt with some, some you know, life-changing circumstances. Some, you know, you've had people in your family that have health crises and all these things. And, and, and we've lost people. We've, sent, we've populated heaven so much in the past few years. But God says that we have to not only go to sackcloth, but come to the temple where you're going to be encouraged. Ask others for prayer like he did with Isaiah. And then ourself. Spread it out before the Lord. Because this is what God has called us to do. Number four, the last point in your notes, is God's response. God's response. This is where the mighty hand comes in. This gets so exciting. Now, talk about war. I mean, this is really war. This isn't like, you know, war. This is real war, okay? These guys are fighting. And they're going at it with each other between the countries. Second Kings 19 verse 35 says this. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. God answered the prayer of Hezekiah. 185,000 people in the camp of the Assyrians died overnight. Now, you want to talk about a big God. God who's really moved. The mighty hand of God says, Okay, King Hezekiah, you've come to me. You've gotten, you've gotten down. And for such a time as this, I'm going to do this. And God didn't always do that for the, for the people of Israel. Sometimes they had to deal with judgment. And they had to face other pain. But in this instance, God stepped down and he kills 185,000. Now think about that. If there were an army that were coming against the United States and overnight we heard that, hey, they've retreated because 185,000 soldiers were dead. I think we'd say, you know, all of a sudden we'd be raising the flag again in America for Christianity, wouldn't we? People would be like, wow, this really works. And that's what happens in the mighty hand of God. 185,000. And this is how God wants to work in our life. I, he's not, he's not going to go around and kill off 185,000 people for you. But he's going to work in your situations. And he's asked you to, to come and lay it out before him. The situation was not good. This was, this was a horrible situation. And he steps up. He comes and he seeks the Lord. And God does it. Jeremiah 33.3 states this, Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Wow. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Maybe today you've come in, you're dealing with life. God says to come and spread it out before him. Lay it out before the Lord and watch God work. Let's make a commitment to spread it out before the Lord. Let's make a commitment to go before God and, and to have that time. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, was said of Hudson Taylor, it says this, It was not easy for Mr. Taylor in his changeful life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month and month in northern China by cart and wheelbarrow with the poorest of inns at night. Often, the only one large room for co- uh, often with only one large room for coolies and travelers alike, they would screen off one corner of their fa- uh, one corner for their father and another for themselves with curtains of some sort. And then, after sleep at last, which had brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match strike and see the flicker of a candlelight that told that Mr. Taylor Hudson Taylor, however weary, was pouring over the Bible at, always at his hand. From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait on God. Look at these guys. Look at some of these guys in life. What, what did God do in their life? Why, why, did, why did God choose to use some of these guys? They spread it out before the Lord. 2 to 4 in the morning pretty powerful example. I want to encourage you this morning. Take small steps. Make a commitment before the Lord. God, I'm going to come to you. 
and I'm going to rely on you. This is all about reliance on Christ. There, there are big things. You know what? You go through big things, and I found this out about life. I remember there was hard times in my life, family crises and things from, uh, from, from where I was growing up. And then I go through that, and then there's other crises. And then there's financial crises. Then there's health crises. And then there's so many things. God wants us to be in an attitude of dependence upon this great God. Let's call upon Him and make that our daily commitment to Him. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to encourage you this morning. When you go and you look in the book of Second Kings like that, you see this mighty God at work. It is just so powerful. You see Him slay an army in King's retreat. That's a powerful God. And the same powerful God wants to work in your life. First, it starts with a relationship with Him. You come to Him and you say, Lord God, I accept you into my life. You died on the cross. You paid the price for my sin, and I invite you into my life. And next, it is a walk of reliance on Him. He wants you to spread it out before the Lord. He wants you to lay out your problems, to come unto Him, all that are weak and heavy laden. He is the one that gives rest. Father God, I pray for our congregation, Lord. We have so many people. We're so thankful for our family up here, Lord. We, we come to you and we worship week in and week out. And we're trying to reach this community for you, Lord. We have a lot, that, a lot of work that you've called us to do. You, you've given us a plan. You've put us into your plan. You've, you've given us a mission in life, and we're so thankful for that. But God... There are so many things in this, in this war that we're fighting, the spiritual war of our daily life. God, I pray that you'll be with each person. Help us to, to come into the habit of meeting with you, to, to regularly lay things out before the Lord God Almighty, to watch you at work in our life. God, I thank you for, for all that you are. And God, we ask for your help and your strength as we seek to honor you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and kneel in prayer, just uh, respond to the Lord. You are free to do that And as we sing our closing. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful.